Section 7 of Pantheisticon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. President read by Alessandro Gagliardi. Respondent read by Anno Simon. Pantheisticon by John Toland. The third part of the form of celebrating the Socratic society, containing the liberty of the society and a law neither deceiving nor to be deceived. We must always wish that there should be a sound mind and a sound body, and as life is not to be laid down on a slight pretext, so death is never to be dreaded. Nothing more is to be wished for, and to effect this we must use our utmost endeavours. Let us therefore sing joyfully and tunably. The man, the man in conscious virtue bold, who dares his secret purpose hold, unshaken hears the crowd's tumultuous cries, and the impetuous tyrant's angry brow defies. Let the loud winds that rule the seas their wild tempestuous horrors raise. Let Jove's dread arm with thunder rend the spheres, beneath the crush of worlds undaunted he appears. Francis. Among the wise, mirth is more esteemed than gain. Mirth is the characteristic of a freeman sadness that of a slave tis better to rule over none than to be any man's slave one may live honourably without a servant but there is no living at any rate with a master but tis necessary to obey the laws for without them there is no property no safety we are therefore servants of the laws that we may be free there is as wide a difference between liberty and licentiousness as between liberty and slavery here therefore noble equals Consider with yourselves, and always show in your actions the unerring rule for living well, dying happily, and doing all things properly. A rule, I say, not to be deceived, and a law never deceiving, to be delivered to you now, in the very words in which formerly Marcus Tullius inimitably expressed it. With open ears and hearts erect we shall listen. Right reason is the only true law, a law befitting nature extended to all, consistent with itself, and everlasting. A law that invites men to their duty by commanding and deters from fraud by forbidding. A law that commands or forbids not in vain the honest, and on the contrary, by commanding or forbidding, moves not the dishonest. Tis not lawful to abrogate this law, nor derogate anything from it, nor wholly abrogate it. Neither can we, by the Senate or people, be exempted from this law. We are not to seek for any other explainer or interpreter of this law but itself. It is not a different law at Rome from what it is at Athens, nor different now from what it shall be hereafter, but one and the same law, eternal and immortal, has and shall contain all times and nations. There shall be one, as it were, common matter and ruler of all, that God, the inventor, umpire, and giver of this law. He who obeys not this law is his own enemy. He scorns the nature of man, and therefore shall undergo the greatest punishments, though he escapes all other supposed ones. We are willing to be brought up and governed by this law, not by the lying and superstitious fictions of men. Laws framed by men are neither clear nor universal, nor always the same, nor ever efficacious. They are therefore useful to few, or wholly to none. Interpreters alone accepted. Be still attentive. Superstition, says Tully, whose words are unquestionably true, over spreading nations, seized upon almost the minds of all, and took possession of the weakness of men. 
This is evident from my books upon the nature of the gods, and I have cleared it up to my utmost in this dispute upon divination, for I flattered myself that I should conduce not a little to my own particular advantage and that of my country if I could find a means to root it out entirely. Not that it should be understood that by destroying superstition religion is also destroyed, for it is a wise man's business to uphold the institutions of his ancestors and retain their rites and ceremonies. But what I intimate is that the beauty of the world and the order of heavenly things force us to confess that there exists an excellent and eternal nature which should be the object of the contemplation and admiration of all mankind. Wherefore, as the religion is to be propagated, that's joined to the knowledge of nature, so all the roots of superstition are to be plucked out and cast away. The superstitious man, asleep or awake, enjoys no repose. He lives not happily, nor dies securely, who, living and dying, is a prey to silly priests. Whatever time nature has allotted every man for life, he should be satisfied with it. He who dreads what cannot be avoided can never possess a sedate mind. But he who fears not death, because necessary, prepares a safeguard for a happy life. As our birth brought us the beginning of all things, so shall our death the end. As nothing of these belonged to us before our birth, so nothing shall after death. He is a great fool who weeps. He shall not be alive a thousand years hence. As he who weeps that he has not lived to a thousand years. To fame and custom only, funeral pomps and solemnities should be granted. They are therefore to be despised by us, but not to be neglected. Let's toast some health. Come. My humble service to the society. It shall go round in full bumpers. Let the new president give orders for all other particulars. It shall be done. Afterwards they feast temperately, teaching one another and learning which is the symbol and principal scope of the society. End of section 7 Edited together by Alessandro Galliardi, Brooklyn, New York, November 5, 2009